been referred to as the Michael Jordan of entertainment public relations. Your client list could cover both sides of the block on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You are the publicist, publicist. Michael Levine, welcome to the Cultural Scavenger. Uh, Andy, what a pleasure it is to talk to you, but also share your valuable audience. That's a real honor. So thank you for the, the special treat. The honor is mine. Michael, you had a childhood not unlike mine. Mm-hmm. You had, well, mine were functioning alcoholic parents. Right. I don't know how how into it they were, but mine were not drinking all day. But boy, as soon as five o'clock hit, they, they were in the in their cups, as it were. And I listened to one of the things that you said, and it uh, it struck me as being very relevant. It forced you to raise yourself, which yeah, I had that same that's experience. A- that's a common experience with uh, adult children of alcoholics uh, that through necessity, they are forced often uh, and, and often unsuccessfully to raise themselves. And uh, so if in every corner and village and city in America today, there are hundreds of AA meetings in which, uh, and Al-Anon meetings in which people will talk about the process of what that was like to raise themselves. And on top of that, you were dyslexic. That is true. And I was dyslexic, Andy, as you well know, at a time in American life in which dyslexia had a different name. We know much more about dyslexia today than we did 40 years ago, and we know much more about alcoholism than we did 40 years ago. And so 40 years ago, the name we generally gave to dyslexics is dumb. Yeah. Yeah. My son, Drew, is uh, he's on the autism spectrum, and it's the yep. same same thing. You know, 40 years yep. ago, it was very difficult, and especially for somebody Correct. like Drew who he has Asperger's so he could function, but it was extremely difficult for them. And I'm sure it was the same issue trying to adjust. Yeah, it's very difficult. And, and, you know, dyslexics get daily and sometimes hourly reminders of their inferiority. Last night I went out to uh, a city, not terribly far from where I live. And I parked in a parking meter and I put the appropriate amount of change in the parking meter. And I came back an hour later and uh, got a parking ticket. Now that's because I mistakenly put money in the wrong meter. And that's a function of dyslexia. Now I don't know whether my dyslexic defense is going to work (laughs) with city hall. uh, but Unless that little adventure cost me $53. Holy so, Jesus. Yeah, California, California's broke, uh, so we we charge high. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, having overcome, yeah. mitigated it as, as best you could. Right. As a kid, uh, I think you, you moved out. You went to Rutgers for a while, and then you uh, moved to you, L.A. Yeah. Few months uh, left. Uh, I was out of my house at age seventeen, which again is very young, but not as young then. And I moved to Los Angeles because I had a passion. I actually, uh, Andy, had passions for two things. One was the entertainment industry. That's the 
the career I chose, and the other was politics. And that was the career I didn't choose, but still remain somewhat uh, intrigued by it in certain ways. And uh, so I came out to the entertainment industry, uh, to, to Hollywood, to pursue a career in the entertainment industry. And that began in September 16th, 1977. It was a very uh, interesting and difficult journey, particularly at first, but over time, you know, Bill Gates has a, a very interesting quote, Andy. Bill Gates says that human beings inevitably overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. And I just think that's a, a kind of interesting way of looking at life and goals and all kinds of things. Did you decide that you wanted to be in the public relations end of it when you got out there? Or was that kind no. of where you gravitated to immediately? I just knew that I wanted to work somehow in the entertainment industry. And then through a friend of a friend of a friend, I met a woman and there weren't many women in publicity at that time, but this woman worked at Paramount Pictures. I met her and I simply asked her, what does she do all day? I don't know what a publicist does. And she looked at me and she said, what do I do all day? And I said, yeah, what do you do all day? And she said, huh, um, I bullshit on the phone. And I thought, well, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds like a job for me. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. And so it is and so it goes. <laughs> so you're... First clients were stand-up comedian David Brenner and actress Joan Rivers. Now, right. they were established. You weren't. How'd you land them? That's Well, again, through what Bob Dylan calls a, a sudden twist of fate. <laughs> brought on by a sudden twist of fate, which is a lot of life. A lot of life is brought on by a sudden twist of fate. And showing up and proximity is so important today. You know, I try to teach young people that the relationships they attempt to build, particularly in their formative years, will really define the arc of their work life. But you can't do that by text message. Yeah. You can try, but in the end, that isn't going to cut it. And so uh, being in the right place at the right time, being where the action is, you know, if you want to be, let's say you're a young person uh, who wants to work in politics. Well, of course, you can go to state politics if you choose. But in the end, if you're interested in national politics, you got to get your ass to Washington, D.C. That's where the action is for politics. Now, if you're interested in the tech business, you got to get yourself to Silicon Valley. That's where the action is. If you're interested in the entertainment industry, you got to get to New York or LA. If you're interested in any number of other things, you got to get where the action is and you got to get to know, build relationships. Who was it that said um, 90% of life is just showing up? Woody Allen. Yes. Yeah. yeah Woody and Allen. Very true. It, it is it is the God's truth. Which, by the way, unfortunately, Andy, if 90% of success is showing up, 
that does not offer a great advantage to the contemporary culture of our time or the young, our young friends, maybe 35 or younger, who believe that you can show up with an emoji. Yeah, and that's something that I want to get to in a moment, how things have changed in the age of cell phones, social media, yeah. et cetera, vis-a-vis yep. -vis yep. your career as a, as a PR specialist. So you got David Brenner and Joan Rivers, and from there, the clients just started rolling in. Well, um, it is true that having an anchor client does help. It's yes. like having a shopping center and getting the Apple store as one of your tenants. It helps, yeah. right? Because then um, you, you got David Bowie and Sandra Bullock, Michael Fox, Demi Moore. Well, that, yeah, that became, that is, that's true. But that so, took some time. It didn't happen in an hour, day, or week. But it is true that beginning a journey with an anchor client or an anchor piece of business really helps. And uh, how do you get that anchor client? And I'm going to reveal to your audience right now a very true but unsatisfactory answer to that question. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. How do you get that anchor client? Now, I've already admitted to you that my answer is going to be true, but it's going to be unsatisfying. So here we are. Are you ready? Write it I'm down. I'm ready, yes. Here's how you do it. Somehow. That's how you do it. Somehow. You do it through the front door, the back door, the side door, the chimney. You go to the FedEx guy down the street. You do it somehow. If you have a burning maniacal rage, a will that is on fire to do something in life, it will propel you to the somehow explanation. See, what most people do when they're asked to deliver a package to a someone's home at 10 o'clock in the morning is they knock, they arrive at 10 in the morning, they knock on the front door. If no one's home, they go home and they play video games. There's a few people in the world that have a different plan. They arrive at a quarter of 10, they knock on the front door, no one's home, they go to the back door, knock on that, they go to the side door, they go to the chimney. They walk down the street, they see the FedEx guy, they ask him some questions. They walk across the street to the gas station, ask a few questions, and ultimately they prevail. It's a different mindset. Yeah. It's about a work ethic, really. It's about a work it's ethic. It's a work ethic, and if you put in put it in, and it, there's no guarantee of success, but your success is going to the be odds, the odds are enormously increased. Yeah. Now it is a work ethic, but it requires a proper plan. And here's a, a mistake that so many young people make today, dear Andy. They confuse activity with results, right? Yeah. Trying just because you tried something doesn't mean you accomplished it. So you should never confuse activity with results. There has to be a game plan. Accurate numbers never lie, and they always tell a story. So if I'm talking to a nice young friend about their diet, and they want to tell me how they haven't had a pizza in a month, my rejoinder to them is, well, that sounds kind of cool, but why don't you get on, on the weight scale? 
See, I'll tell you, I don't care whether you had a pizza or not. Just get on the weight scale because accurate numbers never lie and they always tell a story. Yep. So two of your more famous and controversial clients were Charlton Heston and Michael Jackson. Correct. Tell me, what was it like navigating crisis, the cold, dead hands yeah. thing with Charlton and the Jackson molestation ac- accusation? Sure. How does the ultimate PR guy, how do you deal with a crisis mode? So I represented Charlton Heston for 20 years. And I would say that of the 20, probably 17 of them were not particularly uh, burnished with crisis. It was when he moved into the NRA yep. uh, world. And I cautioned him that he was running the risk of obscuring his legacy. Now, you know, Andy, talking to people about their obituaries is no fun business. <laughs> uh, it may be necessary business, but it is no fun business. And what I tried to point out to Mr. Heston without revealing too many of our personal conversations is that if you do certain things in latter life and they have some controversy attached to it, they really run the risk of overshadowing a magnificent 40, 50 year career. I mean, Charlton Heston was perhaps the biggest movie star in the world at a certain time. Sure. The crisis often comes in an unexpected way. They don't say to you, Handy, look, uh, a week from Thursday, there's going to be a crisis. And I think you really need to cancel your plans this weekend and plan for that. There's no textbook for it. But what I learned through a 35-year career in the entertainment industry and, and, and in media America is a very forgiving nation. If people work with four essential precepts, they generally will do better than if they don't. And that is speed. They must go quickly. Humility, personal responsibility, and contrition. Now, these rules, these four rules, they generally work pretty well. However, We have moved into a tragic and deeply concerning time right now, uh, Andy, in the last year or so. I guess what's being called the woke, the world in which if you walk into Baskin Robbins and the counter help asks you what ice cream flavor you'd like and you say, well, I think I'm going to have vanilla today. I don't care for chocolate. You are rendered in the minds of some of these woke mobsters as a racist. And it becomes for you to defend why that's untrue, almost always unsuccessfully. It is a mob, and it's deeply concerning. I don't know what country I'm living in anymore. Now, hopefully it'll correct. This yeah. is this well, is a world I don't recognize. Yeah, and it's gone. That's the problem. You know, there's always been the extremes out there. There have always been the left and the right extremes. Now it just seems to be more entrenched. Yeah, and people are afraid. Yeah. I mean, ninety-five percent of Americans know this woke stuff is nonsense. Yeah. 
but they're scared. They're scared to uh, engage it because the mob will kill them. Yeah. And uh, so how long does a client relationship usually last? Yeah, they can uh, last a great long time. And other times they're just coming for a project. You know, sometimes people will come to retain our office and say, look, you know, I have an album coming out. I have a movie coming out. I have a book coming out. Will you help me? And they have no desire to brand themselves beyond that. Is that the model today? Because when I published my book, I had a PR person for that. And it was just for that limited amount of time. So is that sort of kind of the standard these days? Well, it is among many who have a very transactional view of life. I try to argue that people, authors of books, are are brands, mm-hmm. if you will, and that they could and should take a a longer view. Now, longer view isn't always appealing to authors because it requires time and money, and, and you know they're off to and money and 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 money. Listen, it requires time, yeah. it requires money, and it requires a decision not to see the book as the only entity. But look, we're living in a world, Andy, for better or worse, in which it is impossible to be credible without being visible, that there's an umbilical cord between credibility and visibility. Now, that may or may not be a good thing, but it is true. And so as we raise a person's visibility, we definitionally in contemporary life raise their credibility. Which brings me to what I was referring to earlier about the difference between the days when you were in the heyday of your career, social media didn't exist, what would you say yeah. the biggest difference is? I, I think that the the rapid, the rapid, unrelenting rapidity of the news cycle, that which used to be a news story for a week is now a news story for an hour. Yeah. The metabolism rate is unalterably changed, and that places all kinds of pressures on clients and publicists to keep their messaging relevant. You also authored 19 books, speaking of authors, and numerous op-ed pieces that have appeared in publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Psychology Today, Reader's Digest, the LA Times, and USA Today. Your book, Guerrilla PR, became the best-selling public relations-related book of all time. What fills your day... Yeah, I work with a small number of clients. I only accept 12 clients. Now, I could probably have 200 or 2,000 if I wanted to, but I only accept 12 right now. And I also do some book writing and and some speaking. One of the topics that interests me is how to create paths for underdogs. People, you know, only 32% of young people finish finish a four-year education in America. Now, that seems incredible to you or I because we don't know anyone who doesn't finish college. But the reality is that 68%, almost 70% of all people don't finish a four-year college. Now, they have a choice. 
choice one is become embittered and work at a uh, a job with a uniform and name tag and uh, <laughs> feel like a victim for the rest of their lives, which is a bad plan. Or they can avail themselves of what I encourage, and that's a lifelong commitment to self-education. And if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to enroll in the the university of self-education, then there there's there could well be little stopping them. Yeah, it's. It, I think if people adopted the habits that Barbara and I have, and I'm sure you do the same thing, we have the luxury because we're both retired. But this went back while I was still working. I would just consume in two hours as much news as I could from different sources. Just mm-hmm. you read about everything. And I don't think people do that. Reading, of course, audio books tremendously helped. Yeah. But just talking to people. Mm-hmm. You know, so many of our young friends stick their head in a phone and don't talk. When they're in an elevator, they don't talk to people. They don't right. say, how are you? What's going on? How was your weekend? Um <laughs> It's it's all text messages. That's the only thing you that people will do. And it it's like pick up the damn phone and talk to right. somebody. Pick yeah. up the damn phone. So I've I've said to young people with no success whatever, but I've said <laughs> that if you want your life to get better, if you want your life to get better, I suggest you reduce your texting by ninety-eight percent. And refer to that action as merely a start. Now, of course, they (laughs) laugh at me and they think I'm insane and they're not going to do it. But I'm deadly serious because if you do that, you'll open your mind, your capacity up for a whole other different way of thinking, seeing, believing. And uh, I think you'll be better. I th- I think it's going to come around. It's you know everything too. is cyclical and and I think people yeah. are people are they're getting sick of social media and a lot of people are leaving for good reason. I just would like to say in closing Andy that I've had the privilege of knowing you for some years now. What one does in the face of bad cards in my case dyslexia becomes very defining in lots of ways. How do you play your cards? Now, Andy had a tragedy that was probably the greatest of all tragedies. And I've watched you over the last few years with interest, with with love, with compassion, with respect on how you played your cards. And my dear friend, in my estimation, you are credit, not only to people who have had the un, an unspeakable tragedy, but to the best aspects of democracy, to people trying to make a better country, not only for themselves, but for others for raising questions that, frankly, are long, long overdue. Now, however you come down on the gun question, and I understand it's a controversial question, 
For the love of the Lord, please don't tell me it shouldn't be discussed. That's a pass-fail question on an IQ test. So you have been a hero to me in many, many ways, and I, I respect you. You're civil. I've seen you on interviews in which the host doesn't uh, agree with all your positions. You're persuasive. You're civil. You're smart. You're dedicated. And um, I'm, I'm just very proud of what you were able to do. Well, I appreciate that. You haven't seen me in private because you might change your opinion. <laughs> but I just I I just want to say that along those lines and I was going to close with this so you it was a perfect segue. You, you reached out to me right after Allison was I killed. did. That's true. And what struck me is you weren't trying to pitch me on anything. No. You you were yeah, I was your friendship. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. That's all you you offered friendship and support and that's the only thing that you've asked and the, and that's the way it's been for the last five and and we've, years. Yeah, we've stayed together a long time. Yeah, and, and I, I thank you. We for laugh that. and we work and we talk and we debate and all of it. Yeah, and I, I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for, be, for being that friend and that sound. Well, I love you. I love, love and you respect too. you a lot. And I love that you're doing this because this is cool. You do see, let me tell you what, what's not cool. Retiring and doing, going to Costco all day. That's not cool. <laughs> this is cool. So, Thank Andy, you. you're teaching us yet again. Thank well, you, you got to always, as somebody said, you're constantly reinventing yourself. So there I'm you reinventing go. myself for a vanity project, but that's okay. That's, I that's <laughs> how you get through it. Hey, All Michael, right. thanks so much for, for joining me today. And love you, man. Love you, too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.